Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Today's episode will be slightly extended from my norm, but you can spread it out as there will not be a new episode next Tuesday. I'm taking an extended weekend vacation, and frankly, that just isn't going to include podcastulizing. Sorry, not sorry. But seriously, I love you guys. People are just the worst. Wouldn't you agree? I think that's in the Bible, right? Love your neighbors as yourself, unless he just absolutely stinks, in which case you have every right to just despise him. On today's episode, first we're going to talk about our people hatred, made obvious by our refusal to give them all of our stuff. Then we'll talk about how there are just way too many people and not enough people. And finally, we'll lay out a plan to make all these dumb people that we can't stand and have way too many and not enough of more smarterer by teaching them more goodlier. So, go open that big beautiful door in probably the best wall ever, grab your anxiety meds, and dig deep in your wallet for the children. Because as clearly the best and brightest, here we go. Well, seeing as though this is my last podcast prior to the actual day of the midterm elections, I wanted to finish up our look at the Democrat Party platform. So this will kind of be of a, a twofer day, if we can stand it. Now, I say the actual election day because they've been going on for, uh, what, many months now in most of the country? And they'll go on for many weeks to come because that makes perfect sense for an election in this clown show of a world we live in. So today we want to start with episode 8 and see what wonderful humanitarian, dare I say, inspired by, well, not uh, not God exactly, let's just say inspired plan for creating a 21st century immigration system. Let's see what they have for us there, shall we? And then after that, I'll give you a break in the action, a little palate cleanser, if you will, and then we'll hit episode 9 about how the Democrats that we've already established just love, love, love our kids, mostly killing them prior to birth, and if not that, butchering them after birth. We'll see how they'll be providing a world-class education in every zip code. Oh, that'll be nice. So in the interest of time, let's dive right in here. Immigration. I think we can all agree that it was just horrifying how President Trump loaded kids into cages that Obama had built, but Trump stuffed so many kids in those cages. I mean, not as many as Obama, definitely nowhere near as many as old man Biden, but they're both Democrats and Trump is a Republican. So see, that's why Trump is worse. And let's not mention that the kids were being brought over, well, not typically by mom and dad, more by human traffickers that were were paid quite a lot to sometimes get the kids over the border and sometimes just abandon them in the desert somewhere. Oh, and we don't need to mention that the kids that came across the border with uh, an adult, uh, an adult that couldn't prove the child or children was his or hers, usually his. So, you know, in, in the interest of the safety of the child, what say we split them from Mr. Random Adult, right? I'm sure that most of those kids would probably prefer a cage over rape. Now, I don't know 
Maybe the Dems are right and I'm wrong. Well, let's see what these geniuses said they were going to do and what they've failed miserably at already in the last two years. So the premise is that we're built on immigration. Okay, although that's sort of true, it's also a major spin of the facts, the way they tell it. So the Dems want to fix the problem. The problem brought on, of course, by Trump. Quote, the Trump administration has abandoned our values as a diverse, compassionate, and welcoming country. Instead of pursuing a sensible, humane, and responsible approach to immigration that strengthens the United States, the Trump administration has been callous, cruel, and reckless in the extreme. President Trump's immigration policies have made our communities less safe, undermined our economy, and tarnished our image around the world. Continuing on with the quote, This administration's cruelty and dehumanization of immigrants stretches the imagination and shocks the conscience, forcibly separating families and putting children in cages, deporting veterans who have fought to defend our freedoms, conducting militarized raids on our workplaces, endangering lives by denying COVID-19 testing and treatment based on immigration status, including to essential workers at the forefront of the pandemic response, banning people from traveling to the United States based on their faith or their country of origin, and turning away refugees and asylum seekers fleeing violence and persecution. These actions should not happen in our country again. Now, I don't know, this Trump guy sounds like he's a real monster. <laughs> uh, let's look at the charges here and address those really quickly. Children were put in cages, you know, remember, that Obama built. And that's if they weren't with their family, and if the parent couldn't prove it, right? Or, or if they were just dumped off at the border, would it be nice to have five-star hotels for each child? Sure. But as Obama found out, as Trump understood, as Biden has found out worse than both of his predecessors, if we're going to have a porous border, you kind of stuck for the best options. Deporting veterans. Yeah. And it was happening well before Trump. Uh, now, who was before Trump? <laughs> I wish I could figure that out. No way to know for sure. These are people that served under a green card, or in some cases, they were undocumented, which, at least for me, begs the question, how were illegals serving in our military? Anyway, after they're discharged, honorably or not, if they're illegal or if their stay runs out, they can, and might I say should, be sent back home. But it appears that in most cases, these are people that got out and decided that, you know, a little crime would be okay. A little assault over here, maybe a little theft, a little bit of drug running, you know, just hobbies. And that, my friend, is why they're being deported, as they should be. If they're illegal, our tax dollars don't need to put them up in our prisons. Send them on their way. Let someone else deal with that. As for the militarized raids. <laughs> well, if that means a SWAT-type enforcement body surrounding the workplace, that's, you know, breaking the law by most likely exploiting illegals. Um, okay, and? I mean, if they knocked on the door real nicely, I somehow have a hard time believing they'd all just admit they've been caught. Oh, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you nosy kids. If they're illegal, I'm sorry, you're not uh, legal. I know, tough concept to grasp. 
How about denying COVID-19 testing and treatment? Well, that's, you know, a lie. In fact, we know that under the Biden administration, they literally were just catching and releasing with no health checks at all. Just a slip of paper to come back for your court date, which, of course, they all do. Always. They always do that. Banning people based on faith. Now, do they mean Muslim extremism and countries that are known to be hostile to our country? Because, again, I ask, and? In fact, just this year, we've had a record number of known terrorists caught at the border. Not because under Biden, the Border Patrol is just that good, but because it's literally a free-for-all down there. And the Border Patrol is doing all they can to stop some. I stress the word some. As for asylum, asylum is not, I fear for my safety in my country, so I'm going to flee to the country of my choice. It's getting to the first country that's not your country. This is why Trump instituted the Remain in Mexico policy with appropriate threats to Mexico that if they just pass them along, there'd be problems. And this worked tremendously. It worked so good, in fact, that after a year, plus, of Biden canceling the program, he was ordered by a court to reinstitute the program uh, because Biden's non-policy was an unmitigated disaster. So back to the platform. They like to obfuscate legal and illegal immigrants. They make the case that immigrants play an important role in our country and society, and I agree. They say that we're a better country because we have immigration. I agree. But this is not what they're crying about. They want open borders. They want us to just be one big open nation where everyone that steps on our soil can choose to stay or go. And if they stay, even for just a little while, they can have a vote in our future direction. I mean, New York back in 2019 declared that they were going to give illegals the right to vote. Uh, the court said, uh, yeah, no, that's that's not going to happen. The Dems said that they'll get rid of the national emergency, which is just a money and resource drain. However, they sure do like the COVID one just saying. They say that the southern border is ineffective, and I agree. They should try finishing it. Give that a shot. Trump should have had that border finished in four years. That's one of my biggest disappointments with him. There are a few. That's one of my bigger ones. But it's hard to say something is ineffective if it's never been. Now, they definitely wanted all the extremist Muslims from countries that hate us back in here. And why? Well, I told you, because they hate us. The Democrats also hate us, so uh, these are their kind of people. Uh, they want to protect the dreamers and the parents of kids that happen to be popped out on this side of the border because that makes sense. And did you know that apparently Trump enacted policies that didn't allow people to come here that were suffering violence and gang activity, and especially those persecuted for having the gay in their country? Now, if by that they mean the Remain in Mexico policy, well, we've talked about that. As for gangs, well, neither Obama nor Biden seem to have a problem with the gangs. You know, like MS-13 following their alleged victims right across the border into the United States. Uh, they pledged to get rid of uh, the evil Trump's wealth test. Okay, please, for the sake of their very fragile minds, don't tell them that when immigrants came to America through Ellis Island... You know, those seeking to be allowed in legally. Don't tell them about the questions they had to answer. I'm going to tell you, but you have to promise not to tell Democrats. Uh, I just don't think they can handle it. 
And honestly, a little of this is selfish. We haven't had a lot of screaming at the sky lately. I'd hate to see that kick back up again. So here were the questions. Are you meeting a relative here in America? Who? Have you been in a prison, almshouse, or institution for cares of the insane? Are you a polygamist? Are you an anarchist? Are you coming to America for a job? Where will you work? Are you deformed or crippled? Who was the first president of America? What is the Constitution? Which president freed the slaves? Can you name the 13 original colonies? Who is the current president of the United States? And even if they answered these correctly or appropriately, that still did not guarantee that they weren't going to be placed back on a boat and shipped back to where they came from. Now, what would these Democrats think if we tried to enact and enforce just sheer hatred like this to the nice, face-tattooed, angry-looking young man as he slipped up the bank and threw a gap in that ineffective wall? But the Democrats are very invested in their narrative and agenda. They've hit LGBTQ+, they've hit the Muslim discrimination. Now, what's next? Come on, you know. That's right. Quote, Democrats believe that our fight to end systemic and structural racism in our country extends to our immigration system. (sighs) Systemic racism. You know, the term they use that has absolutely zero backing. I challenge every Democrat out there to show me the systemic racism in anything. Pick literally anything in our country. Show me that systemic racism. It doesn't exist. But see, if they can paint with their broad people of color brush, they can say that a policy that says, yeah, we'd rather not let terrorists into our country and uh, we'd like people to come in the legal way regardless of how good or bad it is. We don't think they should come here illegally, you know, breaking the law. Yeah, those type of statements, those are racist, systemically. Of course, they want to get the roadmap to citizenship for all of those that broke the law and are living here illegally. The generally accepted or repeated number is about 11 million illegals that are already over here, but the number is probably tens of millions. We literally have no idea. So those that have spent years waiting for entry, years working on their citizenship test and through the program, there's the ones that are getting penalized by a roadmap. Notice how about every policy that the Dems want to enact somehow violates morals and ethics, you know, biblical principles. Case in point, this policy does nothing but push those who would normally work through the system into illegal activity. I mean, if it's faster, easier, and cheaper to come here illegally and follow that old roadmap, why would you not do that? The Democrats, in every way possible, push for evil, push for crime, push for theft, push for anything anti-Christian, anti-God they can. I mean, just look at their beliefs and policies. It's simply amazing. They're going to reunite families. Oh, well, good for them. Best of luck finding the parents of these kids, but, uh, but good for you. That's been the problem from the beginning. And they want to say that if one member of an immediate family is a green card holder, well, then everyone in that family gets to come in under the green card. Huh. I wonder why that is. Votes. They want to expand the cap for victims of human trafficking. They want to make sure that, quote, same-sex couples and their children receive equal treatment. Okay, so first of all, Republicans have never been the party of discrimination. That's always been the Democrats. 
Second, in their platform for the term same-sex couples, they put the dash between sex and couples rather than between same and sex. So I guess they're saying same-sex couples, which that's an entirely different thing. Third, same-sex couples don't have children. They can have foster or adopted children, or one of them can have a child and the other can be a step-parent. But if they're same-sex... They're not both the parent of the child. Sorry, not sorry. I like facts and science. And to bolster my point that Democrats are always the party and the people that discriminate, they say they want to, quote, preserve the critical role of diversity preferences in our immigration system. Excuse me? So they don't really want an open immigration or a roadmap. They want those things for the right kind of immigrant. And as we're seeing this midterm, they believe the demographic they want to let in will always vote for them. But that's shifting more than ever has been seen in the past. They want to protect immigrants from bad, nasty employers. Well, employees are protected. That already exists. What the Democrats want to actually do is protect illegals from bad employers. And, you know, I don't want to see anyone treated badly. But as a highly trained expert in root cause analysis, the issue isn't the employer. It's the fact that the illegal is there working illegally in the first place. That was the illegal's choice. If he hadn't put himself in that position, guess what wouldn't have happened? But to accomplish their goals, they'll stop workplace raids and community raids, protect schools, churches, healthcare facilities, Benefits offices, let me say that one again, benefit offices, and DMVs. DMVs. Now, those last two are the most blatant redistribution of tax dollars out of the bunch of them, but schools and healthcare? I mean, the only one that isn't a drain is the church. And trust me, Christian churches are not really what they have in mind here. Think more like a mosque. They also want to protect their freedoms of speech, their rights to seek justice, their right to peaceably, or whatever, assemble. Now, can I point out that they don't have those rights in America? Those are the Bill of Rights that are guaranteed to American citizens. They're not that. These don't apply to them. Sorry, it's it's not my choice. They came here. They also don't want to jail or detain any of these poor, pitiful, gangbang families. For those that are detained... They want to give them every amenity and accommodation they can, you know, for us inconveniencing them to such a degree. I mean, all they wanted to do was break our laws. And to show that they're being fair, they want to prioritize those with specific vulnerabilities, you know, like, quote, those who are known to be suffering from serious physical or mental illness, who have disabilities, who are elderly, pregnant, or nursing, who demonstrate that they are primary caretakers of children or an infirm person, if they identify as gay, lesbian, transgender, gender nonconforming, or intersex, or whose detention is otherwise not in the public interest. How is a lifestyle choice a vulnerability? Or are they saying that those that identify with the LGBTQ community are disabled or have a mental illness? I mean, I can go along with that one, sure, yeah. Now, they want to make it easier for qualified immigrants to become full and equal citizens. I totally agree with that. I think anywhere in any government program, we can cut out red tape and bureaucracy. That's a positive. Maybe we can fire some of the government employees that do nothing after we cut out their pointless jobs. 
But then they ruin what they just said with, quote, including increasing funding for culturally appropriate immigrant inclusion and citizenship services, legal support, English classes and bilingual education, workforce development and adult education. So why are the taxpayers on the hook to do all of the teaching? And what the heck are culturally appropriate immigrant inclusion and citizenship services? They can do whatever cultural things they want on their own, but if our tax dollars are going to go for anything to do with cultural anything, it should be the American culture, not their culture. Am I wrong on this? I mean, they're coming here to America to be Americans. And if they're not, they shouldn't be coming here. They know how to do their thing. We need to teach them what being an American means here, or at least what it, what it used to mean. And finally, they not only want to dump our tax dollars in stupid ways here at home, they want to fix everything everywhere in the entire universe. Quote, Finally, Democrats will address the root causes of migration, violence and insecurity, poverty, pervasive corruption, lack of educational and economic opportunity, and the impacts of climate change. And this means handing out money to various countries around the world, partnering with countries and supporting various countries so they can, I have no idea, be like America that the Dems hate, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really sure. So let me ask you this. Out of what they've done, and to be honest, I don't believe in two years of total control. I, I just don't think they've done much. Have they addressed the immigration issue? They rescinded remain in Mexico, put more people, both adults and kids, in cages than either of the past two presidents, allowed a record number of law-breaking illegals across our border, including an unknown number of terrorists, sent Kamala to the very edge of a few hundred miles away from the border, and said, do not come. Do not come. Which totally worked. And then they got ordered to reinstate remain in Mexico. So in fiscal year 2021, there were 1.72 million attempted border crossings. Those are the ones that were stopped. That is an all-time fiscal year record. So I'm not sure if, you know, like Guinness Book was called in order to certify this or not, but that's, that's definitely a record. It's not a good record. But, but look, this was Biden's first year. They still had all those mean, nasty Trump policies in play. Per their platform, I can only assume that they rectified all the wrongs for 2022. So in fiscal year 2022, which just ended a few weeks ago, there were only 2.76 million stopped crossings. Uh, wait a minute. Now that seems like m more, more bad. Someone call Guinness. And there were nearly 600,000 known documented gotaways as well. That seems like I, even more bad. But look, these are hardworking families, children, probably pastors and nuns, grandmothers, entire schools of blind children tied together with a rope so none of them will get lost. Over 14,000 pounds of fentanyl. Oh, that, wait a minute, that last one. If you look it up, which I did, as that's what I do, two milligrams of fentanyl is considered to be lethal. So when you do a little math, that's enough fentanyl to kill 3.2 billion people. You know, just 10 times the population of the United States or nearly half of the world. And that's what they caught. So let me ask you this. As I've done before, after two years of full Democrat control, are we better or worse? With regard to immigration, better or worse? Have we done more good in this world, in our country, two and four people, or more evil? And if you say we're better, if you say we've done good for people, gotta ask, are you working for Potter now? 
I mean, literally, there are only two ways you could say immigration is better for any party that's involved with this. One, you could just be flat out stupid. I mean, we're talking single digit IQ here, vegetable state, or as the kids say, Biden-ish. I'm pretty sure they say that. Or two, you're a blue no matter who voter. You wouldn't care if Uncle Joe was fondling your daughter, deep sniffing your wife, while Kamikaze Kali la 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 was stabbing you in the face. You're voting straight blue ticket no matter what. In which case, refer back to number one. As I've said so many times, the Democrat Party is pure evil. They've pulled the curtain back. They've revealed nearly all of their true self. They are wholly depraved, and they want everyone to be depraved and degenerate and evil with them. And we just shouldn't really let that happen. Soon we'll have the next ice age. Soon the region around the equator will be so hot, humans won't be able to live there. Soon, the oceans will rise and floods will reclaim miles upon miles of what used to be our coastline. The newly discovered virus coming from a Chinese wet market termed SARS-CoV-2 or the Wuhan flu will kill a minimum of 20% of those that contract it. Soon, another virus will kill up to 80% of those that contract that. Soon, we'll have the worst hurricane season in all of history. Do I need to go on with failed prophecy after failed prophecy? Yeah, I do. Let's tack one more on there. Found on the Business Insider, but that's a pay site, and I'll be duped if I ever pay the trial fee of a dollar for it. So, found on web.archive.org, headline, The Great People Shortage is Coming. And it's going to cause global economic chaos. And of course it is. Why is it that we as a society seem to be addicted to the next crisis? We can't seem to be happy unless we're in some constant state of just kind of a low-level panic. Even if you or I aren't craving the next reason to act irrationally due to fear... Our beneficent leaders are definitely addicted to the next crisis, as I've covered before, regardless of who said it. The saying goes, never let a good crisis go to waste. And let me tell you, our global overlords are all about creating crises and compelling us to overreact to them. Looking at our latest fear-induced insanity, the COVID pandemic, those in positions of global power have confirmed that all they need to do is tell us what to be afraid of and what we need to do, with absolutely no actual scientific data to back up the claims, and we, like sheep, eh, more like lemmings, will sprint after the lemming in front of us right off the edge of the cliff. The Business Insider article is no different. What I find amusing is that it's using the same God that these people, the, the faceless, nameless they, use every time. The God of time. The problem with the COVID pandemic was that it was just too short-lived. Now, I know it, it's felt like it's been an eternity, but in the grand scheme of things, it was a flash. There are still countries like China that are enforcing their control, and one could argue that's because they just want to control the population, but countries in Europe, the United States, Australia, we're seeing even in Canada, as well as others, that the controls are starting to slip. The majority of the people can easily see that the data doesn't match what they're being told to believe. Have you noticed how many alleged variants are floating around the globe right now? I say again, allegedly. 
People are done with the lockdowns. They're done with masking, done with distancing. The newly reformulated big pharma clotting agents are being shunned by most. Mama and papa bears are ready to shred states and school districts if they even think about mandating the COVID chemical on their children. They even tried to scare us all with the monkeypox, but most of us aren't gay. And notice that all the news right now is revolving around the absolute historic, dare I say, pandemic level of children with flu and RSV so far this year. Yeah, yeah. see, that's the problem with a pandemic. The effects, the resolution, the data, all way too close to the initiation of the crisis. We have short memories as a people, but not that short. And this is why the most effective arguments or methods of forcing change, the most effective crises, all use their god of time. This is why evolution requires billions of years. If they tried to tell us it happened in the span of our lifetime, or even in the span of a few generations, we'd see through their lies fairly easily. But since it's very slow, so slow you can't even see it, (laughs) but trust us, it happened then see, it must be true. Which begs the question, why isn't it still happening? Shouldn't we have varieties of missing links all over the place? Why is it confined to one starting point, one chain of events, one root on the evolutionary tree? Uh, Anyway, as I tend to do, I digress. So to our article. In 1975, the four billionth person was born. Now, I have it on good authority. It was on November 14th at approximately 11.22 p.m. and was a healthy and, may I say, unbelievably handsome baby boy of nine pounds, six ounces. I mean, that's what I've heard. The projection is that this November, only 47 years later, will cross over the eight billion mark. So clearly that means that in another 45 years, we'll be at 93 gazillion people on the planet, right? Well, hold on there, Pythagoras. That's the opposite of what they are now predicting. And just for the record, I spelled Pythagoras so poorly, Microsoft Word's only suggestion for me was pot hangers. Continuing on. What the Brainiacs are saying now is that the population will begin dropping in 40 years, and by the end of the century, we'll be down by 1 billion, with the worst-case estimates at down by 2 billion. Now, in 2017, 50 Nobel laureates, you know, people smarter and better than you and I, they were asked uh, what the greatest threat to humanity was. Over a third of them said overpopulation. Now, let me stop here for just a moment. That is a clear indicator that one-third of these super smart people are so smart, they've clearly determined that there is no God. Why do I say this? Because the Bible tells us the exact opposite. See, after day five of creation, God commanded the birds and the fish to be fruitful and multiply. After day six, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. After the flood, God commanded Noah and the fam to let out the animals so they could be fruitful and multiply. And then God told Noah's sons twice to be, uh, you guessed it, fruitful and multiply, to bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. At no time did God ever set a limit on earth's population. At no time did God rescind the order to be fruitful and multiply. Although we're told that the world is crowded, you know, that we have too many people, did you know that if we packed in Shoulder to shoulder, the entire global population could fit in Los Angeles? Yeah, it seems impossible, but L.A. is about 500 square miles in area, 7.8 billion people. That would give us just under two square feet each. And yes, I know, I'd need more than two square feet. 
And I'd also need a sandwich. But there are some tiny, skinny people that can loan me some space and a sandwich. So yeah, our world isn't really that overcrowded. The general fear comes back to food, resources, and climate change. As the article says, quote, There is no doubt that slowing population growth is an important tool to combat the climate crisis. Of course, I'd argue, correctly, that there is no such thing as a climate crisis, and nobody can believe that or propagate that until someone tells us what the correct global temperature is supposed to be, why it's supposed to be that, and then accurately measure the global temperature. Um, it was hot today. That's not an argument. Now, don't worry. It's not going to shrink from a virus, a war, or natural disasters, which is odd because those really logically seem to be the things that have always put dramatic dampers on our population growth. But, but no, that's stupid old thinking. No, it's going to be, quote, an increase in living standards, rising life expectancy, and falling birth rates. See, quote, people are healthier, richer, better educated, living longer, and having fewer children. As a result, the number of children born in rich countries like the U.S., in Europe, and China is not sufficient anymore to keep those populations stable. Oh, but before you drop to your knees thanking Mother Earth for the salvation of our climate, uh, no, no, this apparently isn't good. Quote, but this decrease in humanity is not a reason to cheer, but rather a looming disaster for our economy. The great labor shortage caused by the declining population will cripple our global economy unless we find innovative ways to keep things running. Okay, so humanity is considered to be a virus on the planet, as all we do is destroy the planet, but we make things and keep businesses running and make the global elites money. So, yep, a declining population is a good thing, as people are uh, horrible planet murderers. But, you know, money, so, so they kind of need us around. This is just really simply a terrible article. It's a godless worldview. It re reduces humanity to a function, just, just another machine. So, apparently for a population to maintain, there needs to be 2.1 births per woman. Of course, today, we don't even know what a woman is, so this calculation takes on a much greater level of complexity. But using the old definition that a woman is defined, as any idiot used to be able to do, <laughs> that there's a pretty girl, the current rate in the United States is 1.6 children per woman, 1.5 in Germany, 1.3 in Japan, 1.2 in China, and 0.8 in South Korea. Additionally, the percent of the population that are considered working age is dropping as well, and it's projected to continue to drop. Quote, the looming population decline is a wake-up call. Instead of the population bomb that some have feared for decades, we will face a population drop, and it will have enormous consequences for the world's prosperity. Shouldn't we have somewhat more concern that we're not doing as God commanded? Shouldn't we, I don't know, be more concerned for our procreation of image bearers of God so that more image bearers can glorify God rather than uh, the world's prosperity? To paraphrase Arnold's crass comment regarding our freedom during the pandemic, screw your prosperity. And yes, I know, my Austrian isn't great. But then again, my English ain't so good neither, so, uh, you know. So the article goes on to lament the fact that although this will be great for the planet, the fact is people have fueled the economic growth of the world. I mean, who, 
Who knew? Uh, they say that we're seeing it now. We have shortages of workers and airlines and daycares and military service. We're going to see fewer train drivers, teachers, engineers, <laughs> doctors, care workers, and programmers. And horror of horrors, companies will produce or perform less. Money spent at businesses will drop. Fewer sales will be made. Lower profits will be had. And believe it or not, the productivity of humans will apparently go down as well. I'm not sure how they figure that. I mean, maybe what? Depression? I'm not sure. You know, out of all the things that cross my mind on a daily basis, as I feebly attempt to do whatever it is they think I do, global population isn't anywhere on the list. Now, I know I'm probably the odd man out here, but it just doesn't affect my productivity. I guess overall, though, I'm, I'm not seeing their big issue yet. Not from their standpoint. Let's look at this logically, shall we? I mean, why not? We're all here anyway. If the population declines, we would have less people to work. We would make less stuff. But wouldn't that happen anyway, based on supply and demand? If you make widgets, because that's what every company makes in scenarios like these, and your customer base goes down by 25%, you can theoretically make 25% less widgets. If you're making 25% less, then you don't need as many makers, which is fortunate because they don't exist. You also don't need as many machines or craftspeople or engineers or anybody. Companies literally do this sort of stuff every day. With regard to our current situation in the airlines, the military, etc., are we seeing the effects of a global population decline? I mean, maybe, but no. What we're seeing, at least in the U.S. and other Western nations, is a decline in the participation rate because of what our masters forced us to do. You know, lockdown, shutdown, stay home, and because of the cash being printed and handed out by our governments, acting like Orca Winfrey, telling people to just stay home, don't worry, we'll pay you to sit around and do nothing but not spread your filth. We're seeing a new demographic of people right now that I'd like to call lazy slackers. Now, I know that makes me sound like an old get-off-my-lawn kind of guy, but uh, eh, I'm too old to care about that at this point. What's interesting is that this entire article is literally the climate change argument just regarding population. The weather that we're all told not to care about, unless, of course, it's hot, then it's global warming, is akin to the current airlines, daycares, and military worker shortage. It's a short-term, non-issue kind of issue. It literally means nothing and contributes nothing to your argument of the impending doom that you're predicting. The population decline is akin to the mythical 1 degree C rise in temperature that we simply must not allow to happen. Now, we all know it's going to happen... For the science tells me so. But it's going to happen later. When, you ask? Oh, just later. And as we approach later, we'll just adjust our predictions to uh, laterer. And the effects of climate change, the absolute destruction of our planet, is akin to the economy. Uh, read that as profit. Uh, destroying effects of population decline. And notice that it's impossible to change unless science does something. Maybe we could just shoot sun-reflecting soot and dust into the air. <laughs> yeah, that idiotic theory is being floated out there once again. And while we're at it, let's just lab-grow some more humans. At no point will science ever even consider the kooky nut theory that things are cyclical. And just like it's impossible for the global temperature to go up or down quickly, it's a very long, very gradual, very natural process. They also won't consider that maybe global population and birth rates 
will do the same. I mean, it may not, right? But, but it, it probably will. And can we just address this productivity thing for a moment? In its heyday, probably 60 years ago, what is now the industrial park that I work in used to be one large company and housed many chemical production facilities. At that time, they were a small city unto themselves, comprised of thousands upon thousands of people. Today, I work in one of the plants, still on site, and we number our people at well less than 100, probably closer to 50. Now look how many people it used to take to make the Model T Ford, a very simple machine by today's standards, versus how many people it takes to make an infinitely more complex vehicle. With improvements in machinery, computerization, robotics, we just don't need as many people to be more and more productive. If the population does decline, which I'm not disputing that it might if God tarries long enough, we won't have to be as productive because of less consumers. But I see no reason why automation and advancements in technology don't continue to make us more productive per capita, as it's always done. For some reason, and I don't know if it's on purpose in order to push an agenda, or if these so-called smart people just aren't capable of seeing the delusion they're living under, but just like climate change, just like evolutionism, they're stuck with a concept of uniformitarianism. The way things are today is the way they've always been and always will be. Now further, I find it interesting that the only causes of population decline are apparently things like prosperity and longer life. What about, say, oh, I don't know off the top of my head, eh, abortion? What about, uh, what about that? More than 63 million aborted babies in the United States alone since Roe was passed. In 2008, there were about 4.25 million births. There were also about 1.2 million abortions. That's 22% of babies created being murdered. Now, it seems to me that if they were allowed to be born, that would help the old population declination fears. What about divorce? Now, I can tell you from personal experience, my intent was always to have two or three kids, but divorce interrupted that. Now, I guarantee I'm not alone. What about the feminist movement? Now, I have no problem with women working, but the feminist movement has a huge problem with women not working a nine to five, just saying they want to have kids and take care of the home and the family and let the man provide the cash for running the home. A woman who says she wants to be a stay-at-home mom is demonized and shamed. And of course, a woman can't even be a stay-at-home mom anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. They're now called a domestic engineer. You don't think that the terminology is intentional? What about priorities? Men and women these days are consciously deciding to remain boys and girls longer. They're deciding that things like travel and money and partying, you know, experiences, those are much more important than family. And with the availability of contraception and abortions, it's easier than ever to play house until you're tired of this one, then swap to that one, play more house. Well, eventually it's too late. I wonder why these contributors to population decline weren't mentioned I mean, surely it has nothing to do with the fact that they're all addressed in the Bible. <laughs> they're all, all biblical, right? No, these things are, are just natural. The way things should be, it's definitely the fact that we're living longer and we're more prosperous and we don't need kids to work the farm like the old days. That's why we're declining. No, all that said, there is actually one legitimate economic uh, sinkhole that we wouldn't be able to avoid should the population decline 
or even if it only maintains, and that's retirement, specifically pensions. Those are already collapsing. It's not being talked about much and it's not overwhelming yet, but the reality is employee pensions, union pensions, and to the same degree, social security, those require a population to grow exponentially. Years ago, Glenn Beck did a piece on, I believe it was firefighters in New York City. Their pension, the way it was set up, required seven working contributing firefighters for every one that was retired. With retirement age set at what it is, especially in the public sector, especially in a high hazard career like that, how many generations of retirements can you go out before it's uh, out of control? Teachers' pensions, I believe, are something like four or five to one in general. The bottom line is that pensions are doomed. There's a reason that most private businesses no longer offer pensions. I technically have a pension, and I don't hold out a lot of hope it'll be there when I retire in 15 to 20 years. I also don't hold out a lot of hope that Social Security will be there either. I further hold out very little hope that I'll actually retire in 15 to 20 years. But on the off chance I do, this is why I'm stocking up on cans of the meatiest dog food I can find now so I can survive my retirement years. Did you know that when the retirement age was set and the Social Security system was set up, the people that lived more than a short time into retirement age, you know, post 65 years old, they were the exception, not the norm. So based on a model that there would be a fairly minimal draw on the Social Security funds as compared to the number of current workers, and remember back then, many, many more employees were needed to do the jobs that needed to be done, the Social Security system would always be funded at a very high level, never to run out. But as life expectancy increased, the Social Security system is now grossly underfunded and will be depleted in like 25 to 30 years, or so they claim. So what are we to do if the government doesn't rescue us, right? Well, the answer used to be that this is where the biblical principles of family came into play. Save up some money for retirement, plan for the future. No, the Bible doesn't tell us to just let go and let God. We are to plan. We are to ensure our family is taken care of. Hopefully leave an inheritance. Then at the same time, as children of parents, we need to make sure they're taken care of as well. Whatever that means and whatever that takes. That used to be understood prior to all of these social welfare systems being put into place. It was family and church that would band together to help each other. Now it's government. And other than that, I guess you'll just need to go on and die. Nothing else we can do for you. So look, to wrap this up and to put a nice little bow on it, let's not fall for the latest panic-inducing crisis being shoved in our faces. Let's not allow science or government to use their god of time in order to make us believe their next agenda item. Let's instead use logic to evaluate what we're being told to just believe. Let's use our Bible as our guide when we're being told what direction we need to go. Do not let a godless worldview dictate how you feel, how you think, and how you act. I've said it a few times recently, but Christians are the owners of science and reason and logic because we're the holders and believers in actual truth. It's easily seen that without the correct worldview, anything and everything is believable. That's not who Christians are called to be. Look carefully and critically at anything you're being told to believe or fear. Think, evaluate against logic and biblical truths, evaluate against what you know to be true, seek guidance, learn, and then act. To be like the lost world, simply reacting, running from crisis to crisis, that is is not who we as Christians are called to be. Well, here we are again, 
Time for episode nine. Episode the last. Episode Finn, if you will. Looking at the Democrat Party platform. This is, of course, not counting their plan to reestablish our credibility on the world stage, as we just really won't have time to cover that final section. But really, if you've seen Biden on the world stage, you've no doubt been in awe at the way he's showed that he's not just the everyman, the, the spit bucket Joe, I mean, the sack lunch Joe, garbage pail Joe, whatever, to other countries, nailed it, but that he is the strong man, the leader of the free world, a man not to be trifled with, by exuding strength and his powerful ability to fall asleep in the middle of meetings, conversations, and interviews, his babbling incoherently, his possession of cards with very specific instructions as to when he should sit or stand or walk or go poopy, and his simply unnerving deception of appearing to not know how to get off of a stage, just any stage, all, all stages. We can definitely tell that they fear this man from his strategic withdrawal in Afghanistan, leaving the Taliban shocked, off-kilter, mouths agape in disbelief that he would leave so much equipment, unprotected people, and military personnel to be used as target practice. What is this world leader's game anyway, they ask themselves. Uh, to his clear position of global authority with regard to the Russia-Ukraine war, his immediate influence over the return of Brittany Griner, and his dominance in oil negotiations with the Saudis. Normally, I'd ask, is our credibility, our reputation, our position of strength and power internationally, globally, is it better or worse? I'd normally ask that, you know, better or, or worse. But I don't think I need to do that here. We, we all know the answer. All of us. But for this final segment, we definitely want to look at how the Democrats are going to go about providing a world-class education in every zip code. Now, that's a big promise, as there are a lot of zip codes, 41,692 to be exact, so they're going to make sure that every single zip code will have a world-class education. Every single zip code. Now, they start off well, and then they get to the second part of their second sentence. So they say that education is the key to address our challenges, grow the economy, stay competitive, and then build, quote, a more just, equitable, civically engaged, and socially conscientious nation. Okay, hold up, Professor. The public education system is not there to do any of those last things. It's seriously there to teach the basics, you know, like reading and writing and math. Thought I was going to use the three R's, didn't you? They further believe, quote, that it is the government's responsibility to ensure that every child everywhere is able to receive a world-class education that enables them to lead meaningful lives. No matter their race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, religion, disability status, language status, immigration or citizenship status, household income, or zip code. That seems to be an oddly specific list of things. And what is their obsession with the zip codes? Of course, as one could have guessed, their answer is money. Would you believe we haven't invested enough in our public education yet? Now, 
Not that they care about facts, but the reality is we spend about $15,000 per student per year. When adjusting for inflation, we've increased spending per child by 280 percent since 1960. That's inflation adjusted. We sent a man to the moon in less than a decade back then. Today, we have kids protesting because math is racist, walking around meowing, pretending to be kitties, and teachers being fired for teaching a class that's ah, it's just too hard, or as you and I would have called it, a, a class. We've dumbed down the SATs for years so that the scores stay about the same over time. We've done the same with ACTs, including allowing a super score to use your best score in each section across all your tests in order to get an acceptable score. But sure, money's the problem here. Or more accurately, we still haven't spent money on a universal pre-K and enough free daycare because the best thing we could ever do is to just hand over all children to the government from birth forward, right? Now, they want to get broadband, high-speed internet access, just flipping everywhere for every single American, probably in every single zip code, because there's literally no way to smarten yourself unless you have the fastest of internets. They are committed, their words, to ensuring students and teachers have what they need in order to, quote, build equity and safeguard humanity. Um, how about the multiplication tables? Should we do that? The answer, of course, is not a chance, you moron. They, quote, support K-12 instruction in civics and climate literacy. Now, I would say climate agenda, but that's probably because I wasn't educated properly. They go on to say, quote, We will support evidence-based programs and pedagogical approaches, including assessments that consider the well-being of the whole student and recognize the range of ways students can demonstrate learning. In other words, it really doesn't matter if you get the right answer, as long as you know what you did to get that wrong answer and you feel good about both the answer and yourself. I don't want to drive across the bridge at that future engineer designs, I'll be honest, and don't worry, it'll be easy to spot. I mean, really easy. Pretty scary. Very sketchy. Really easy. So what are they going to do to make sure the generations to come are, quote, informed, engaged citizens of our communities, our country, and our planet? Well, they've got four basic points to this master plan of theirs. One, guarantee universal early childhood education. Two, support high-quality K-12 schools across America. Three, make higher education affordable and accessible. And four, provide borrowers relief from crushing student debt. So let's take a look at each of these points. In order to guarantee universal early childhood education... I wonder if this is a money-back guarantee, they're going to help states offer pre-K to three- and four-year-olds and expand both Head Start and Early Head Start, or as future generations who have grown up under this system will call it, Head Start and Header Start. So Early Head Start, just in case you're curious, is for children under three years old and for pregnant women. Now, I kid you not, on eclkc.ohs.acf.hhs.gov, the government site for early childhood education. And if that web address isn't indicative of a government project, I don't know what is. But on that government site that I refuse to say a second time, they literally say pregnant women. I mean, I mean how, how hateful is our government? Someone needs to be fired and publicly shamed for their hatred of other pregnant individuals. They support giving more money independent and child care tax credits. Oh, well, that's 
It's nice of them to give back a little bit of the money that they've stolen from us. They also want to raise the standards for kids and improve the educators' development. And since we'll apparently be asking more of these educators, they want to make sure they're paid a family-supporting wage. Now, didn't that used to be called a living wage? Now it has to be a family-supporting wage. Huh. Oh, and one other small thing. They should, quote, have access to benefits and paid leave and be able to organize, join a union, and collectively bargain for better wages, benefits, and working conditions. As we've seen from the teachers' unions over the last few years, nothing helps those kids learn and grow more than teachers waiting for school to start and then heading out to the picket line so they can illegally, as public unions are not allowed to strike by law, hold the state hostage as the parents get more and more agitated. You know, blackmail. Uh, they're going to support high-quality K-12 through schools across America. My first question is, I wonder if their plan has some way to reach every zip code. I really hope it does. So, point number one in their master plan is to redistribute wealth, what I'll call soft reparations. But let's look at the phrasing, shall we? Quote, each year, the United States spends $23 billion more on schools in predominantly white districts than in non-white districts. Using property taxes to fund public K-12 schools results in inequitable treatment for students in low-income school districts compared to those in wealthier areas. Okay, first of all, the United States spends nothing. They take our money and then give us some back. Second, because of their soft racism, they're automatically lumping whites with rich and blacks with poor. Third, they're again, as they do with every problem, real or perceived, making the leap of logic that says money fixes everything. Because they believe this, it must mean that low-income schools simply churn out big dummies. I wonder if they realize that children learned for a long time without having smart boards and big screen TVs and their own iPads, etc., etc., etc. They then go on to say that they want to close this gap by tripling the Title I funding program and, quote, incentivizing states to adopt progressive funding formulas. You know, to redistribute wealth more. Now, maybe I'm just a horrible human being. That's probably correct. But if, if part of my tax dollars are going for my child's education... I'd almost prefer it goes to the schools that she attends, rather than have my money sent somewhere else. They want to expand free school meals, implement wraparound health care and nutrition services, expand before and after school programs, adult education, and other services. You know, a nice all-encompassing human and doctrine education camp. Once again, like a unicorn, something I somewhat agree with popped up in this section, boiled down they support having specifically geared education tracks, a college and career type of education rather than a general type of education. I see benefits in a well-rounded education, but I also know I wasted a lot of time and money on classes that didn't benefit me at all in any way. But their focus on science, of course, must come with an agenda. Quote, Democrats believe we must prioritize STEAM education. And just so you know, STEAM is STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, with arts mixed in. Sounds awful. Democrats believe we must prioritize STEAM education and funding for underrepresented students, including students of color, girls, and low-income students, to help remove enrollment and achievement barriers. We will equip students with the knowledge and skills to understand complex scientific issues, 
counter the rising tide of denialism by promoting environmental and climate literacy. Blah, 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 they go on. Then in the same paragraph, they say, quote, our education system should develop the deep learning and life skills needed to thrive in the 21st century economy, including critical and creative thinking, leadership, and judgment and decision making. I guess as long as your critical thinking is the government-approved critical thinking, it'll be fine. They want to ban for-profit charter schools. They say because education is a public good and shouldn't be sullied by profit motive. Now, being an American, relatively smart one, privately owned anything is infinitely better than public anything. They don't want a for-profit charter school because most of the public schools simply can't compete. I think we all know this. They also don't want any private school vouchers. They don't think it's fair that tax dollars get funneled away from the public school system. See, that's their money, not ours. They want guns out of school. So I guess, you know, more signage. Because that always works, right? More signs. They don't want school districts or states to have the ability to decide if their teachers can be armed if they so choose. You know, because they're absolutely brainless. They just hate guns. And most of them are not only terrified of guns, but they also have no usable knowledge about guns. So, you know, scary thunder sticks need to go away. They also, quote, will make sure schools do not engage in and appropriately address discrimination, bullying, and harassment related to sex, including sexual orientation and gender identity, race, national origin, immigration or citizenship status, religion, disability, and language status, period. New sentence, we will protect the rights of transgender students. What is their obsession with killing our kids inside the womb or just after they come out and also leaving them defenseless in their public indoctrination centers and also grooming them for sex and mutilation? It almost seems like the Democrats are fueled and energized by evil, you know, satanic evil. Apparently, the schools are little hotbeds of segregation and racism. <laughs> Who knew? From what they're saying, it sounds like they want to bring back the forced integration, like in the 60s, because there are too many schools with nothing but whitey in there. And we all know if it's an only white school, it's pure racism and hate. Now, I wonder if they feel the same way about forcing integration into the historically black colleges and universities, or, or are those just fine? Maybe instead of worrying about color quotas... How about stop worrying about non-problems? Statistically, very close to 0% of people in the United States are racist. Uh, I mean, there are a few out there, but almost nobody, regardless of if their school is nearly all white or black or whatever. None of them are racist. Most people just want to be left alone. Let's see, what else? Well, they'll protect the illegal alien students. They'll provide equal education for those with disabilities because apparently we're not doing that right now, they're going to do everything for and spend all the money on students with disabilities, low-income, students of color, and English-language learners. This group of students is mentioned over and over and over in this platform, with LGBTQ thrown in there selectively as well. Now, as for higher education... Public colleges will be tuition-free for families making less than $125,000 a year. They're going to double Pell Grants and other assistance. They'll spend more money on colleges that serve specific demographics only. If that demographic was white, that would be racist. So don't worry, that's 
It's not money for honky colleges. They'll make community colleges and trade schools free to everyone, including dreamers. They'll increase funding to colleges for daycares. They'll cover the cost of textbooks and fees for low-income students and address food insecurity on campus. They'll funnel money to not-for-profit colleges, just like they want to do for primary education, because again, profit is, you know, just evil. And for those that didn't get to use all of this free college that after two years is still apparently coming someday and are now just saddled with debt that they have no idea how they got and didn't realize they were going to have to pay it back, yeah, the Dems are going to fix that too. Now, surprisingly enough, they actually in the platform only promised $10,000 for those that have outstanding loans, which is what old man Biden has been told he's promising. Of course, this is illegal, but beyond that, it'll never be enough. Even if we, with our tax dollars, paid all of their loans, it wouldn't be enough. But they only promised $10,000 as well as capping interest rates, payment amounts, minimum incomes for repayment, etc. And what can you do with your $10,000? Maybe even $20,000? Well, if they're able to legally redistribute wealth as... Right now, it's been blocked by a judge, but assuming the nasty Republicans don't succeed in this latest Democrat theft, why, quote, not only will these measures make it easier for Americans to buy a home or start a small business, student debt forgiveness is key to helping address the racial wealth gap, as students of color are more likely to have to borrow to finance higher education. And there it is, reparations. You knew it had to get in there somewhere, right? But let me point out, this is, um, this is debt forgiveness, as in, you're in the hole, now the hole is somewhat less deep. You're not getting cash, so how exactly does having slightly less debt make it so you can buy a house or start a business? If I'm $100,000 in debt and someone pays off $10,000, that in no way makes my buying power go up. No, 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 this is simply being done for two reasons. The first to pay reparations without creating a separate reparations program. Because a fairly long time ago, a percentage of black people in the United States were slaves, and a percentage of whites were, uh, were the slave owners. So that means that everyone that can legitimately identify as being a person of color, no, 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 as black, so you don't need to be African, but you can't be Hispanic or Asian or Native American, just, just black, well, they all need money for injustices done. Okay, and number two, uh, to buy votes. It's illegal to just pay someone for a vote, but if you pay someone and they happen to vote for you, well, that's called government welfare, and that's totally fine. In 1958, author W. Cleon Skousen, probably said that wrong, wrote a book entitled The Naked Communist. No, it's not what you think. It's a bunch of those fat communist dictators wearing only that big furry hat thing and a smile. No, I'm joking. Well, I think I'm joking. I've never actually read it. Regardless, in the book, Skosin compiled writings and speeches from communist leaders, as well as congressional expert testimony in other places, and he made a list of the 45 communist goals for America. This was officially read into the congressional record in 1963. This was the compiled master plan, if you will, to drop the United States capitalist pig dog of a country onto its knees, bowing, as it were, in worship toward Mother Russia. Now, obviously, I'm not reading all of these here, although maybe it would make for an interesting segment or more in the future. I'll have to think about that one. I want to highlight a few of the points, and remember, 
This is 1958, nearly 65 years ago. To put that in perspective, I think Biden was only a few years into retirement age at that point, 65 years ago. So that's a long time ago. So number 17 on the list states, quote, get control of the schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda, soften the curriculum, get control of teachers associations, put the party line in textbooks. And that's followed by number 18, quote, gain control of all student newspapers. So let me ask you, are we there? That's <laughs> trick question. Of course we're there. So the schools may not be pushing the current communist propaganda yet, but they sure are transmission belts for socialism. They routinely teach that capitalism is bad. America is bad. That the rich are evil. That big businesses are evil. Not to mention this push for the school systems to be the provider of absolutely everything for every child. All made possible by your tax dollars, of course. Uh, soften the curriculum? Oh, yep. Like I said, they, they've dumbed down the standardized test. They're still pushing Common Core Math, which has very little to do with real math. They're pushing the reading of manuals and guides rather than stories and thought-provoking works. The testing is a joke. If you're breathing, you'll likely get a decent enough grade. If you have a learning disability, every teacher is taught to just do the best you can and then move them to the next grade where they can get more help. So much help that kids are exiting high school with practically no usable education at all. Red pens are being replaced with purple because purple isn't as scary and mean. Fs are being outlawed. Do I need to go on? What about getting control of teachers associations? Can anyone say unions? I dare you. Look into any of the doctrines or beliefs, the charters or what have you of these teachers unions. They're all socialist at the very least. I mean, workers' unions are communist in themselves, but they're all socialist, if not communist, to their core. You check that box off. What about gaining control of the student newspapers? Well, what are the newspapers of today? Facebook and Twitter, although those are more old people things now. Instagram, TikTok. Oh, they have control of the modern-day newspapers. A report came out earlier this year that stated that the algorithms in TikTok point Americans to stupid videos or harmful and toxic videos, while a similar app in China is heavily regulated in its use, but it points users to videos of science experiments, videos inside the museums and art galleries, historical knowledge, etc. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. Oh, they have control of the student newspapers, pushing all of their degenerate garbage, pushing anti-capitalist, anti-America hate and propaganda. Yeah, they've got control of the newspapers. Did you know that the Department of Education, you know, that we've had forever in this country, was formed in 1979. In fact, October 17th, 1979, it's just had its 43rd birthday. It's a few years younger than I am. This was formed under uh, Jimmy Carter, the second worst president, at least of modern history. Hey, Jimmy sends his thanks there, Joe. According to Wikipedia, this communist government agency has about 4,400 employees and an annual budget of $68 billion. That's education budget. Biden wants $88.3 billion for 2023, so he can redistribute that as his Marxist handlers see fit. This is an agency that literally adds nothing to anything. Well, at least nothing good. There isn't a state out there that has ever needed the Federal Department of Education. Each state is more than capable of evaluating their needs, evaluating curriculum, and setting standards. And if they're not able to do that, 
fire them and hire some competent people. Easy peasy. Now, that $68 billion was only 2% of the tax revenue, but with the 4,400 employees making an average salary of about $126,000, that means we have over $550 million of our tax dollars paying useless people to do nothing, or again, at least nothing good. That's a drop in the bucket of tax revenue. That's a drop in the bucket in total education spending. But it's definitely not nothing. So as you can see, the Democrats that, that are all about democracy, right? Read that as socialist, progressive, Marxist, communism. They're all for a communist public school system. And the more they can push government control of our children, the better. And with this, we'll bring our look at the Democrat Party platform to an end. And let me just stress some of those words more than others. Bring the Democrat Party platform to an end. If you can't see the evil in the platform after listening to these nine episodes, or just reading the platform yourself, or listening to and watching the Democrats, well, you're too far gone. But if you're that far gone, I doubt you're still listening to this podcast. I hope you found this, if nothing more, at least informative. When you see the Democrats in leadership positions pushing what they're pushing, it's not because Biden is an elder-abused, dementia-riddled, old, moldy pudding brain. I mean, he is, but trust me, if he knew where he and his pants were, he'd be in total agreement with the Marxists that are pulling his strings. The progressive Democrats, which is nearly every one of them, aren't just doing things. I highly doubt the leaders, Schumer, Pelosi, are actually in any control at all, to be honest. Would any of us be surprised if they were being controlled and directed by those that want to destroy the United States and the Constitution it was founded under? Yeah, I didn't think so. Here's what I know. God is in control. God is sovereign. Although some will stop short of saying that America is under the judgment of God right now. Let me boldly plow ahead. I'm confident that we're under judgment. I believe we're under direct judgment being enacted on us by God through Satan, through the evil forces of this world. Remember, Satan is under control by God. His limits and boundaries are set. We see this in the book of Job. So I think that we're being acted upon in judgment. I also think that we're being allowed to enact judgment on ourselves. As Romans 1 says three times, God gave them up. We wanted our way. We thumbed our noses at God. I believe that at least to some degree, God has given us up. You think you can run this world better? All right, try it. But God is in control. Whether this judgment is temporary or this is it, and America is destined for the trash heap, I have no idea. Regardless, as Christians, our job doesn't change. We're to love God and love our neighbors. With regard to the political scene, with regard to voting, look, there will almost never be a theologically perfect candidate. The best way to love our neighbors is to vote in the person for each office that we know will do the most good, benefit society the most, not redistribute and hand out the most benefits, actually benefit society. You know, move society, if even only a fraction of a degree back toward God, or at least away from evil. If there's anything I'd love for you to take with you from this little foray into the Democrat Party, is that whatever they might have been in the past, regardless of what your daddy's or grandpappy's Democrat Party used to be, they aren't that now. They are now less a party of individuals coming together in a common cause and more of a single unit, a, a hive mind that's literally, and I'm using that word correctly, literally possessed by Satan, or at least a legion of demons. If you look at how they all move together, rarely break ranks. Look at the constant lies, the disconnection from reality, the maniacal actions, the violence, the hate. They are infested with absolute evil. 
Nobody should vote for anyone in this party. I know we're not supposed to be straight ticket voters, but I simply cannot vote for a person that identifies as agreeing with any of the stances taken by this Democrat party. And everyone must vote. Evil knows no bounds. Satan doesn't like to lose. Everyone must vote. To paraphrase Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not to vote is to vote. If you're not actively voting against evil, you are actively voting for it. There is no fence-sitting. There is no passivity. Not anymore. The stakes are too great. So get in your favorite praying position. Beg God for mercy on this country for the sake of not only our country and our children, but for the world that looks to us as the last bastion for freedom. Then get out there and vote. And then remember, no matter the outcome, love God, love others, and know that God is still on the throne. God is still and will always be in complete and total control. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.